Hello and welcome to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower. UConn is on to the Sweet 16 after wins over Mercer and UCF. Wasn't always easy, but the Huskies found a way, moved on, and are going to their 28th straight Sweet 16, an NCAA Division I record. Not all that surprising. I think the biggest difference is that we expected UCF to be a tough game. We expected that to be a somewhat close game, a defensive battle. I don't think either of us expected it to be a five-point game, a 52-47 to 47 win. Even the win over Mercer started out a little closer than it ended up being with an 83-38 final. That one pretty much went as expected. You know, first-round games, they're always going to start slow especially this UConn team that hasn't played a ton together is still trying to figure itself out. They seemed to put it all together by the second half. I don't think there's really any concerns with the Mercer game, but the UCF game, it was ugly. It was tough. It was physical. It was a battle. All 40 minutes, UConn just had to find a way to grind it out despite not having their best performance, despite shooting two of 11 on layups, despite all of that. So the big question with that is how much of a concern should we make out of UConn's performance against UCF? Is it just a weird one-off performance that has to do with how tough, how physical, how good defensively UCF is, or does it fall somewhere in the middle where there's some concerns, but a lot of it can also be written off. I'm kind of on the middle on this one. I think overall, like, the shooting 30% from the floor. UCF is a really good defensive team. And I felt like UConn got good looks. They just didn't knock them down for a lot of the game. And that's really what it came down to. I mean, even like easy fight is three or four of 10 from three, which I feel like is still obviously good 40%, but she was wide open on all those attempts. And I think that some of them just don't fall. And I think you can, that be said of a lot of players in that game, a lot of missed layups. So I think part of it is how physical the game was. Um, but I feel like the fact that UConn got good looks is actually a good sign against a defense like UCF because to get good looks on shots, I think against them is a good sign. The part that concerns me is the performance down the stretch in the fourth quarter because UConn went up by 12 and it kind of felt like that should have been the game, but then they couldn't make a basket allowed UCF to get back into it. And had UCF made some of those free throws down the stretch, it could have been in trouble for UConn. So I think that part to me is a little concerning, especially because it's not the first time this season we've seen it. We haven't seen them collapse down the stretch in a while, but it was a problem earlier this year and to see it kind of pop up again now not the best time is a little concerning. Right. I definitely agree that UConn didn't take advantage of the opportunities that it got because really from the opening tip, it seemed like UConn had its chances to score, but just wasn't taking advantage of them. And especially AZ FUD, UCF showed no interest in defending her the entire game, which is a very wild game plan to employ or to deploy considering how deadly AZ is from three, how quickly she can flip a game around. And she did hit some big three pointers when UConn needed her to, but I also lean more in the middle, but for the most part, I really don't think there's a ton to be concerned about. Nobody is going to be as good defensively, except maybe South Carolina as UCF. Nobody's going to be as physical as UCF. I don't think anyone in the country is. That's just the way UCF plays. That's the way they've been playing for a while. 
feels like the last few years of the American, every single game, a UConn player was coming out with some sort of injury, whether it was Katie Lou Samuelson taking a shot to the ribs or Olivia Nelson Adota taking a shot to the face. I think the biggest thing is that UConn won, it came out healthy. And I did think it showed a pretty healthy amount of toughness in that it didn't really get rattled by the way UCF played. It took a little time to settle in, but it came back. It pretty much controlled the game throughout. And even when things weren't going its way down the stretch, I don't think there were really any signs of panic where UConn was really melting down. It was just their shots weren't falling, but they're still playing pretty well defensively. UConn couldn't hit a field goal, but I think UCF went on a drought to end the game from field goal range too. So it's not like UConn couldn't score and was coming up completely empty on the other end. Yeah, UCF got its foul shots, had a chance to come in and couldn't make them, but that's also the game. I feel like UCF was always going to make a comeback just because of the nature of who they are as a team. That's a tough seven seed to play. If this tournament so far has showed us anything, it's that the gap between the top teams and the gap between this middle class, these 7, 10, 11, 12 seeds, really isn't that wide. Half the two seeds are already gone, and UConn is not one of them. That alone, I think, is reason for UConn to be happy because this was a game that UConn absolutely could have lost. It's not like they just played poorly. They could have lost this game, but they did what they had to to win. And at this point in the calendar, that's all that matters. Exactly. Survive in advance. And that's that's what they did. So that's really all that matters. And I do think this was a tough matchup for UConn. I think anything with a, a strong defensive team like UCF is going to be hard for UConn because we've seen them struggle on offense kind of just on their own accord at times during the season, even without a tough defensive opponent. So you knew that was going to be tricky for them. Um, so coming out with this of this with the win is is important. And like you said, like they're not going to see a defense like this until they get to the final four. If they get there, they're not going to see any team that's as physical as UCF. They're just there's a team like that. Uh, in this tournament that they're going to see. So they get through this with the win. I don't think it's that much of a cause of concern because like you said, it's just, it's not something they're going to see in the next round, for example. Right. And these type of games are pretty good learning opportunities for UConn because it can play to that level of physicality, even if it doesn't have to. So UConn can come out against Indiana on Saturday and play really physical and Indiana might not be ready to handle that. They might not want to play that style. That's something that UConn can do. Gino specifically mentioned that Aliyah Edwards and Nika Mule kind of set that tone. But even someone like Kristen Williams, I thought, had a really good game, even though her numbers weren't huge. She made some big shots. Last year against Baylor, if you remember, she had a chance to ice the game and missed a couple free throws down the stretch which is what allowed Baylor to even have that last possession where UConn came up with the stop. She made the free throw she needed to down the stretch. If she didn't, it is a much, much different game. It leaves the door open for UCF, but every time UConn made those free throws, it just made it that much more difficult for UCF to try and make the comeback. It needed an opening to get back into this game and not just get close, but have an actual chance to draw even or, tie the game or take the lead. And UConn really didn't give it to them once it got to crunch time, which I think is really interesting. And Gino, to me, it felt like he took a bit of a shot at UCF saying that toughness isn't fouling someone hard or pretending like you're super tough. It's 
making the plays when you need to, the free throws, hitting the threes when you need to, grabbing the tough rebounds. And he thought that UConn did that really well. So I thought that was a very interesting quote from Gino. And to that same point, someone like Dorka Juhas has a really bad game offensively, can't hit layups, but they still needed her with Aliyah Edwards and Olivia Nelson Adota both following out. And she came up with some big rebounds down the stretch. So even players that weren't having their best games were still finding ways to contribute down the stretch and get UConn the win. So that alone, I think, is something for UConn to be happy about because it's all about winning games. It doesn't matter how you do it. And I think in the NCAA tournament, especially how you look one game doesn't necessarily mean you're going to look the same way the next game. Just one of the Stewie national championship teams was down to Dayton at halftime. And, you know, nobody thinks of those teams as beatable nowadays, but Dayton had them on the ropes. So I think in this tournament, you just got to take it one game at a time. UConn's done that. And now it's on to Indiana. Exactly. And I think so much of it comes down to matchups too. different matchups. This team is going to look differently. Like it's that this is a hard matchup for UConn. I think you've seen it in some of the other upsets like Creighton over Iowa. That was just a, a matchup of favored Creighton there. So they get out of this one, which is probably one of the harder matchups they're going to have until they get to the final four. So, you know, you just look forward to the next game and that's going to look very different than this one did. There is a certain amount of, schadenfreude is that the german word for feeling pleasure out of others pain um whatever it is i don't speak german i'm sorry with the ncaa tournament coming around you have the people starting to come out of the woodworks of oh well no one watches women's basketball so why should they get the uh the money or why should it be even or the men's tournament makes the money so the women's tournament doesn't deserve the same amount of respect all those sorts of things come out at the start of the NCAA tournament. Those garbage takes, I want to make that clear, the garbage takes that come out, especially uh, one prominent person in the media world who we don't need to publicly promote with his name about how the women's basketball tournament's not interesting because there aren't any upsets. Well, two double-digit seeds are in the Sweet 16. Two other double-digit seeds came within combined four points from going there. No top four seeds all made it into the same Sweet 16 in any regional. It has been a very fun tournament, and the ratings have been very high. UConn-UCF was the most watched second round game since 2009. People are clearly starting to tune in. I think it helps that ESPN is broadcasting all of these games on linear television instead of the way it used to be, where felt like only half or a quarter of the first few games were on television. Now, if there's an upset alert, people can just switch over to the channel. So it's been a really fun tournament so far. I think it doesn't qualify for UConn because nothing about that UCF game was fun, enjoyable to watch from a neutral perspective, from a UConn perspective, from a UCF perspective. That was not a fun game. That is not a game that's going to go down as one of the more enjoyable to watch. But aside from that, looking around the rest of the tournament, it has been a very fun tournament. It's been a very fun first weekend, and I think the mat or the ratings deservedly reflect that. Yeah, exactly. I think we've seen it in the numbers that have been coming through, and a lot of really fun games and really big upsets that a lot of people were not expecting, kind of in these first few rounds. So I think that's been a lot of fun to see. 
on the topic of kind of people watching too, I feel like we had to talk about the student section at the UConn oh. game because that was incredible. Like, as, and we both went to UConn have been to many of games at the student section. I don't think I've ever seen a student section like that, like it was at that game. It was, it was really impressive. It was crazy because you know, there was no student presence basically for the Mercer game because they were still on spring break, but everyone was back. I wonder how much of it helped that there weren't classes on Monday. So kids had the whole day off and had the whole day to look forward to it. I don't know if there's any merit to that. I got in like 90 minutes before the game and the entire traditional student section, the lower and upper bowls on the right side of the court, if you're watching from TV, were completely full. The student section on the upper level on the left side of the court was probably three fourths full by the time I showed up. They were cheering every time a player came out. They were cheering when they made just warm up shots. I've never seen a UConn crowd do something like that in the years I've covered it that early in the game. And the energy and excitement coming from the student section. It would probably be that game and the South Carolina game in 2017 where they won 100 straight. I think those two are comparable. And I'm just amazed because for the most part, second round games aren't anything all that exciting at UConn. If you looked historically, this was probably going to be a blowout. Just think back to last year against Syracuse where Syracuse put up almost no fight for much of the second half and it was a blowout. And a lot of times the student section at women's basketball games just in general isn't all that engaged. It's it's quieter. It's not all that hyped up, but they were ready to go on Monday night and it stayed like that the entire game. The energy never let up. It was really stunning, something that I didn't expect, but was incredible to see. Yeah, I got when I got to Gamble, I was trying to walk around the front and the students like the line to like get in for student was going all the way down basically the road to North Garage. Just that many people were lined up waiting to get in close to two hours before tip off. And like you said, it just like the environment the whole way through was not really something we'd seen maybe that South Carolina 100 wins game. I think the only other like a comparable game I can think of is I was at that 2014 men's game against Florida where Shabazz hit that crazy shot that's still on all the, the highlight reels for the men. And I think the student section was at that level in that game. But I think those are like the only instances that I can point to where it's been anything like that. Yeah, no, I remember that Florida game. I was at that one too. That one was crazy. And from like a pure energy standpoint, the Villanova game for the men's at the XL center earlier this year had the same constant energy level, the entire game in the same way that this one did. But you know, that was at XL. This one's at Gamble. I saw on Twitter, someone say that they started lining up at two o'clock in the afternoon for the game for a nine o'clock game. So doors don't open until seven 30 and they still ended up in the second row. So that just goes to show you how early people were there. My entire four years at UConn, I don't think I waited any longer than like two and a half hours. And I was always front row because that was the state of the men's program. That was for <laughs> men's games. Obviously I was covering the women's games, but yeah, that was, it was just nothing that I was anticipating. And mm-hmm. I saw a UConn tweet that it was the most students that have ever been at a UConn game, which is it just feels unbelievable. I don't know how, how that ends up being a thing, even though not that I doubt it. It's just all the great games, both the programs have played. What made this one 
a must-go-to game? Or did UConn just have a larger student allocation for it? I don't know what it was, but it was incredible. I feel like part of it is like the Paige Becker's effect. Like that she's just like probably this celebrity on campus, the way a lot of UConn women's players probably have never been. And then take that and the fact that like coming off of COVID years, like the opportunities to go to games or big games, especially for the women have been pretty slim so far because uh, I didn't play a great home schedule this year. So it's been kind of one of the bigger, even though it's not like, you know, a, Tennessee or something like that it's one of the bigger opportunities there has been on campus to to go to a women's game right that's a good point and they haven't hosted a first or second round game in the NCAA tournament since 2019 since the now seniors were freshmen which just feels like an ancient amount of time ago so it could just be that it's been a different era that these students have grown up not grown up have gone through watching because when I was at UConn, they were still dominating every single game. They were blowing out everyone until they got to the final four those first two years. And really, even the freshman year of Christy Williams and Olivia Nelson Adota, I can't remember off the top of my head. Oh, they played Towson and Buffalo, I want to say. And I don't think either of those games were close. So I think there was more of an expectation that this game would be close. And, you know, they got in free, but they got their time worth out of this game they couldn't get their money money's worth but they got their time worth time's worth of this game it went down to the wire it was a tough game and i mean this is one of those games that i think those students are going to be talking about for a long time jumping back on something that happened during the game i think it was really interesting how gino used the bench because first half all nine players play the way it has been going you got the backcourt of page becker's Caroline Ducharme, AZ Fudd, Nika Mule, Avina Westbrook, Kristen Williams, and then Aliyah Edwards, Dorky Uhas, and Olivia Nelson Adota in the front court. But you get to the second half, Nika Mule doesn't come off the bench. Caroline Ducharme doesn't come off the bench. Afterwards, Gino said that Nika not playing had nothing to do with her performance. He just felt that they needed someone to score out there, and she's more defensive minded, which I still don't really agree with all that much because. UConn played really well in the first half when Nika was out there and yeah, she doesn't score a ton and she only contributes with passing, but the team just seems to play better when she's out there. That's all we talk about with Nika is it's really hard to nail down exactly what she does for this team, but you can't deny that she makes them better. So I understand his reasoning for not playing her, but I don't necessarily agree with it. And Caroline, I guess I could see it more. We haven't heard why Gino didn't play her, but I just presume that was more of a performance thing. I still think she could have deserved some minutes in the second half, but it almost felt like it was so fragile in the second half that UConn was playing just well enough to stay ahead that he didn't want to tinker with something and potentially let UCF back into the game. That's how it felt to me because he got really short with that bench for a while. Avina Westbrook wasn't even in the game. So he was keeping the backcourt all the same. You only have an opportunity to ask, you know, like one or two questions post game with how many people are there. But I am curious as to why he shortened the bench and seemed to really get tight with the minutes available after so much of this time since Paige Beckers has been back. He's been pretty loose with the minutes and has run through a lot of lineups, but maybe that's just the way it's going to go. That first half is all about seeing who's, 
going to be on today. And second half is going to be the players that have proven that they deserve to be out there. And maybe Caroline didn't do that in the first half for him. So he decided to shorten the bench, but I thought that was interesting and also a little strange. Yeah, I agree. I also thought it was a little strange. Part of me wonders if it was more due to just like how physical UCF was being and like making sure that players out there could take care of the ball. I think you could take trust Paige Beckers and Kristen Williams too to take care of the ball. And then I don't know how you take AZ off when they're not guarding her on the perimeter. You have to leave her out there in that case. She actually played more minutes than anyone, which makes sense. They were leaving her wide open from three. So I think that could be part of it as well making sure that you have players that work and all of them back in the game that way. Right. And for as good as Caroline Ducharme has been for really since Paige Becker's injury, the one thing that you could knock her for is that she has been turnover prone. Even when she's been playing some of her best basketball, she's been turnover prone. So that very much could have been a possibility too, even though she didn't turn it over. I mean, for the most part, UConn actually was pretty good with its turnovers. Mm-hmm. It had, just 13 on the game, which considering the way that UConn sometimes throws the ball away and UCF's press defense is really pretty impressive, especially when three of them come from AZ FUD, who's a freshman, and you should kind of expect that sort of thing. And she made up with it for three steals on the other way, so it almost evened itself out. Yeah, and two blocks, too. <laughs> the guards all yeah. got enough blocks, too. So. Yeah. It is interesting. I pulled up the box score to see what everyone's plus minus is, which is how many points are scored around when you're on the floor as compared to how many points you give up or the team gives up when you're on the floor. Dorka being a team high plus 12, I don't think that's something I would have guessed because O of 6 from the floor. But aside from everything on offense, she really had a pretty strong game. Five rebounds for them on the defensive end, three assists, which was a team high two blocks, one steal, only one turnover. That's pretty good. Yeah. And I think part of that too, is that she didn't foul. She only had one foul in her 19 minutes. So you weren't giving up points at the free throw line, which with Liv and Aaliyah both fouling out, they definitely gave up some points there as well. Two of 12 from layups though. Yeah. So bad. I think some of it can be pointed to how physical UCF was like, they were probably some of them that they got fouled on that they didn't finish, but that's just, you You have to be better on layups going forward. I don't think you can win in like an Elite Eight game going 2 of 12 on layups. This game had similar vibes to Arizona last year, I felt like, where UConn went behind early. It was pretty heavy defensive battle. They struggled to score points. They weren't doing any, they couldn't make layups. But I think the difference is that I mean, first, UCF isn't as good of a team. They don't have an Ari McDonald out there. But I also think UConn responded pretty well. Like I said, there's never any panic down the stretch, but I also don't really think there was any panic early in the game when they were down. It always felt like UConn was going to find a way to come back. And a big way they did that was getting to the foul line. UCF was not going to get away with having UConn shoot zero foul shots in the first quarter. UConn did what it needed to do to get to the foul line. And after a shaky start, it finished pretty well from the foul line. I think it hit at least its last eight. Nine of their 14 points in the second quarter came from the foul line. So that was a really big aspect where your shots aren't falling, get fouled, go to the line and shoot somewhere they can't follow you or they can't make contact with you as you're going up and there's no defense. So 
the fact that they were so bad offensively, but still found ways to get points on the board and still held strong defensively. Those are things to be encouraged by, even though the layups were so bad and everything else was really ugly. I mean, if, if UConn even goes 50% on layups, if they go six of 12, it's really a 10 point game, a 13 point game. So yeah, I, I think there's a lot more reason to be encouraged by how bad UConn was than concerned by how bad they were in a weird way, because I don't think, I mean, I could be very wrong on this, but I don't think they're going to have that bad of a, a performance on layups, at least in the regional rounds. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't think they're going to face a post that's going to force that in the regional rounds or defense is going to force that in the regional rounds. And yeah, I think there's a lot of like little things you can point to in this game that is like, oh, if they just did this one thing better, if they just like shot a little bit better for on those wide open threes, if they just made a few more of those layups, but they would have been, you know, in a much better position if they just didn't foul as much on you know, UCF because UCF also had a fair amount of trips to the, the free throw line, 20 trips. They only had half of them, but um, I think you can kind of point to a lot of little things that aren't really reoccurring problems um for this team that's there's not really a lot of concern to be you know worried about i don't think we've really seen this team get into that kind of foul trouble at all this season for example no definitely not and gino made a really interesting point after the game that he brought Dorka here because he felt that she could be the difference between them coming up short of a national championship for the sixth straight year or finally getting back on top. And I think her performance on Monday showed exactly that because what does this game look like if both Olivia Nelson, Adota and Aaliyah Edwards foul out, do they bring Amari DeBerry or P.F. Gabriel off the bench? Do they just try and figure it out with five guards and hope that they can pull it together somehow? You're suddenly looking at a really bad situation where rebounds are crucial suddenly UCF can just really step out to the three-point line and make it a lot more difficult on the guards because no one could beat them inside. The fact that Dorka could come in and just be a presence down low, even though she didn't score on a basket, that is so valuable. And I don't know if they win this game without Dorka. Yeah, I think that's a very fair point. I think when those two fall out at the end of the game and you can't bring in Dorka, you're in a a really tight situation and they were already in a tight game going down the stretch. So they might not have been able to close it out without her on the floor. What did you think of Paige Beckers played 32 minutes, the most by far that she's had since coming back nine points, two assists took nine shots, which was tied with Kristen Williams for second most on the team. I thought, you know, for where she is, she kind of played as expected. It felt like a game where last year she probably would have taken over and hit some big shots and, you know, put UCF away a little bit, but it's hard to expect her to be a lights out shooter immediately after missing so much time. She seemed to be a lot more engaged and a part of this game and contributing to the win than she was during the big East tournament, even though the numbers aren't really there. So I feel pretty good about what Paige can do going forward, even though I think it's still going to fall on Kristen Williams to be the go-to player. Paige is definitely going to have a role and clearly Gino trusts her right now. I just don't think it's realistic to expect her to get to the level that she was at last year based on the way that she played, but 
that would be a good thing to be wrong about. <laughs> yeah, agreed. But I, for now, at least agree with you. I think we're sl- seeing her slowly get better and she compared to be a bit more here than she did in the Big East tournament, but she's definitely not at the level that she was before the injury. We, I think we see it in flashes. There's sometimes she had some shots. So you're just like, yeah, that looks like the old page backers, but it's not with consistency yet, which I don't think is also fair to expect from her at this point. But I do think if you kind of can just get her like a little bit better each weekend, assuming they kind of come out of this weekend and they go into the next one, that's going to help them a lot because the better she can be, the better this team is going to be. But it's definitely like a, this weekend was a step in the, the right direction. I think you saw it in the way she was playing. And she was just, like you said, more involved than she was in the Big East tournament. There was that play at the beginning with the tie-up where she was wrestling for the ball and then amping up the crowd afterwards. Like She was definitely more engaged from a mental standpoint than we saw in the Big East tournament. And then Avina Westbrook carrying her away with just the most, like, ah, this friggin' kid look on her face. (laughs) Just the most annoyed, like, I can't believe I got to be doing this type look on her face. Yeah, that was great. I think it showed that UConn wasn't going to come in and be pushed around by UCF. I mean, Mm -hmm. I thought, I don't know about you, but I felt like UCF's press conference afterwards was so bizarre because it almost felt like UConn was the losing team and UCF was happy with the way that they played it was almost like oh yeah we did what we wanted to do he said something like oh UConn wasn't really prepared for our physicality I don't really think that's true I don't think like yeah they punched UConn in the face almost literally in the first period but it's not like UConn didn't immediately throw a punch back I felt like it was it was just both teams were swinging at each other the entire game and it's not like one was overriding the other just I thought it was very weird what how UCF acted after the game. I don't know about you, or if that was just me picking yeah. up that vibe. I kind of thought so too. Like that comment specifically, I feel like UConn very much was ready for it. Like they came out and matched the physicality and like recognized that that was what they had to do to win that game, and they did it. Um, but I can also see like why UCF could be happy with their performance coming out of the game. No one expected them to actually win that game. They came out and won or lost by only five points like competed they did win a tournament game this week which was a program first so I think they've accomplished a lot this season for a team that hasn't had that kind of postseason success so for them it's probably like a a moral victory in a way to come out and you know be within five of UConn and have that be how you go out instead of you know losing that game by 25 points or something right I think that very not very easily, but it could have become a 25 point game if, you know, when UConn goes on its run and pretty much shuts them out in the second quarter, UCF very easily could have packed it in at halftime, said, you know what, we accomplished so much this season. It was a great run. Uh, UConn, you can take us now. But they didn't, they really came pretty close to going to the Sweet 16. And if they didn't end up in UConn's region, I feel like they probably would have had a good chance to get to the sweet 16 because how many teams are going to respond to that physicality and are going to be able to survive that UConn's not the most physical team in the world, but they at least match the energy and they match the intensity of it. I think there's plenty of teams that would have completely crumbled on the spot. Yeah, I agree. I think had they been sent somewhere else, I think their coach was pretty adamant that she would have liked to be sent somewhere else, but had they been paired with another two, I'd, they would have had a good shot at the making that that sweet 16 run 
especially because it's not like the twos have uh, lit the world on fire in this tournament. Honestly, like that matchup with Iowa, I would have fully picked as a, <laughs> an upset to happen because when you look at it too, like Iowa, like Creighton was just like a little bit physical with Caitlin Clark and she really couldn't get things going from the way she would typically would in that game, which is part of why Iowa dropped out. I don't think Caitlin Clark would respond well at all to a UCF defense. No, the whole Iowa and Caitlin Clark thing is so weird because Caitlin Clark on her own seems like a very likable kid and a very likable player, but it's her fans on Twitter that (laughs) almost kind of make you root against her because they are so obnoxious and they're just so delusional in the way that they think and the way that they operate. It's almost like she's the second coming of Michael Jordan and like pointing out her poor efficiency or her poor shooting. And like, you can't have an objective conversation about Caitlin Clark where it's like, yeah, Caitlin Clark's great. She's not the best player in the country, but she's still really good. You can't live in that gray area. She either is the best player in the country or she's incredibly overrated and not as good as everyone thinks she is. So it was very interesting to see them go out in large part because Caitlin Clark had a terrible second half. So personally, I think it's disappointing that Caitlin Clark's not going to be playing in the regional. I think it has a lot more to do with the team around her. Monica mm-hmm. Sanano, notwithstanding, she was the only reason that Iowa even had a chance to go on. But that's also the team that Caitlin Clark picked. She handpicked mm-hmm. going to Iowa. It's not like Iowa's a powerhouse. They're not going to be a powerhouse once she leaves the way that, you know, this isn't the perfect example right now. But Oregon, I still think, is going to have a life after Sabrina Ionescu. She's not going to be the only player that made Oregon good in program history Iowa yeah less convinced agreed I mean I, this is the second really good player we've seen come out of Iowa you had Mike Gustafson who oh, that's a good point won national player of the year a few years back and now you've got Kayla Clark but they still never seem to have like the pieces around them to really find that like kind of next level of success I mean also Creighton did everything it could to hand that game back to Iowa I mean I don't know how you know that it's going to be one last shot and you just let Caitlin Clark go get the ball. Don't double team her and just roll out a red carpet for her down to the basket. And then to just horrible defense on those last two possessions by Creighton shout out to them for winning, but Oh man, <laughs> they, they locked their way out of there a little bit. Like they did everything right in the first half, but in the second half, yeah. <laughs> how about the big East though? So much time, so much airtime, so many words were spent talking about how the Big East deserved more respect and how they weren't well-respected as a conference and how, you know, all of that. And, you know, you throw out to Paul, who probably shouldn't have been in the tournament and got obliterated in the first round. But Villanova wins its first game, upsets the succeed. BYU. BYU, that's right. Creighton gets to the Sweet 16, beats Iowa. UConn, you know, does what UConn does, gets to the Sweet 16. Don't look now, but the Big East has as many teams in the Sweet 16 as the mighty SEC. (laughs) That is something. Yeah, exactly. 
And like credit to Villanova too, because they did lose to Michigan in that second round game, but they were right with there with Michigan until late in the third quarter. It was a two, three point game, and then they, Michigan kind of with Nats home and there's Nova didn't really have the size to guard her and they they pulled away late in the third, but they hung around for quite a bit there too. I think what we've seen from the biggies, but also just like these other mid-major teams that have pulled off these big upsets or are, you know, in the Sweet 16, like a South Dakota, is that the top of like a league like the Big East or these other mid-major conferences is not that far off from the top of like your power conferences as well. I think there's a big gap in like the bottom of a mid-major and the bottom of the Big East to the bottom of the SEC or the Big Ten or something like that. But I think in in the middle somewhat too, but I think you're saying that the gap at the top has certainly narrowed. Well, that's the point that Gino always makes is why is the seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th best team in the SEC getting in over like the third best team in the Big East? Because if you can't even have a winning record in your conference, are you really that good of a team? And I think what's happened in this tournament so far is kind of proving his point where those middle tier teams in the power conferences aren't all that strong. And it was something that we talked about last episode where everyone kind of felt underwhelming that's really held true i mean it's not like south carolina even lit the world on fire they won what 49 to 33 we thought the yukon ucf game was bad so that, that one must have been a crime against basketball <laughs> yeah exactly so i think like i said like the the gap is, is small and even the teams that are considered to be the top teams right now. I don't think anyone's safe in this tournament. I think we have not seen the end of the upsets. I think I actually picked all the one seeds to get to the elite eight. So this would mess up my bracket. (laughs) Oh no, no, no. I didn't pick NC state. That's right. Because Mm -hmm. NC state's going to do what NC state always does. And they're going to find a way to lose to Notre Dame who is (laughs) hot right now. Yeah. Also just storylines wise. I know I talked about this after the selection show, but UConn Notre Dame for the elite eight. That would be wonderful. So, so, so good. Especially after the whole Gino Muffet fracas. Which has continued, by the way. Muffet is still making some comments this week. So, So, looking forward to this weekend, UConn will play Indiana in the Sweet 16, the three seed in the region out of the Big Ten. Came within one point of getting upset by Carla Berube's Princeton team. I had Princeton going to the Sweet 16. I thought that they were going to be able to pull it off. Came up just short. But what can you tell us about Indiana? Yeah, so Indiana, I think it's a good matchup for UConn. Their host, Mackenzie Holmes, is 6'3", so UConn's going to have some size advantage inside. Um, and they're not you know, they're not facing a big center in this game, like an Aaliyah Boston or an Alisa Kinane or kind of one of those big names. So I think that bodes well for UConn. And then... They're not also a great defensive team. So I think, you know, a lot of those problems that we saw from UConn in this UCF matchup kind of go away a bit, just given the matchup here. Harub Stavstasm is like 12th in defensive rating, which adjusts for the fact that they're in the Big Ten where play teams score a lot. But I, to me, that feels high. I just feel like they're the best defensive team in the Big Ten, but that's not really saying much. Um so I think UConn's going to be able to have, have their way a little bit more on the offensive end in this game, which I think will be a good way for them to respond kind of following that the rough defensive or offensive performance against UCF. And then in terms of 
guarding Indiana. They score most of their points inside, where I think UConn's defense has been really, really solid. Down, I mean, over the last however many games it has been now, where they've kind of really been able to hold teams below that 40, 50 part mark with consistency. And I think this should be kind of a similar situation. They don't shoot the ball from three a lot. They're kind of in the bottom 10% of so of the country and shooting on the amount of threes that they take. So they're going to try to go inside a lot. UConn's length inside, I think it's going to be much more than what Indiana has to offer there. And I think UConn, I think this is actually an easier game for UConn than the UCF game was. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. This very much feels like an AZ FUD type of game mm-hmm. where if she can get hot from three and hit a few early, this one could be over by, you know, the second quarter or something with just the way Indiana defends and not really having an offense that can put up points in a very quick span from the outside. I'm just feeling a big game from AZ Fudd. And that's coming off a game in which she scored 16 points against UCF, which was a team high. So feels like a game where UConn's guards, I, like, yeah, you just mentioned that UConn has the advantage inside but I feel like UConn's guards could be what takes this game from maybe being a close matchup into a comfortable trip into the elite eight. Oh yeah. I mean, UConn's backcourt does, I think out talents Indiana in pretty much every position. So I think that's going to be a big piece as well. And like you said, AC Fudd is coming off a 16 point game, but I feel like the way she was talking in the press conference, she didn't feel like she had a great game against UCF. Um, even though she just like lead the team in scoring. So I wouldn't be surprised to see her kind of go off from three, especially early in, in this one and open it up for UConn. Yeah. If that first three falls, Indiana <laughs> should just pack it in and yeah. <laughs> good, good luck. I feel like right. if, that's like a great measure for like how you can play. If AZ Futs first three falls and it's like in the first like two minutes of the game, like it's already over for whoever they're playing. <laughs> that would be a really interesting stat to look up. I think I might try and write something about that. How much better is AZ shooting from three when that first shot falls? Because it seems like it's night and day where against UCF, it took a couple for her to go and then she hit a few in a row and then she had some trouble with it again. But those days where that first one goes through the hoop it seems like the rest just follow. Yeah. <laughs> Other side of the bracket, we've got NC state going up against a Notre Dame team. Who's on a bit of a run here blew out Oklahoma in the second round. UConn saw them earlier this year. It wasn't all that competitive of a game, but what do you think about that matchup? Yeah, I think that one's going to be an interesting one. Notre Dame has beat NC state. This year, I think it's their only only conference loss of the season, I'm pretty sure, was to Notre Dame. Um, so it's going to be a rematch of that. I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, Notre Dame is, is a team that's definitely getting hot at the right time. They have a lot of weapons, and they have a lot of freshmen, which is I think part of why they've just gotten kind of feels like progressively better. Um, and they've responded well since that game against Louisville, where they just got buried, which was only a few weeks ago, but they've responded well since so I think this one could be an interesting one NC State's definitely the favorite but I think Notre Dame could make it interesting for sure I think it'll be I think it's going to be a close game I don't really have a strong opinion on who's going to win it I think it could really go either way 
Who do you think would be the tougher test for UConn in the Elite Eight? Is it still just NC State? Yeah, I still think it's NC State. I mean, UConn's already played Notre Dame once this season. I do think Notre Dame's better than the team that they played back in December, but I still think NC State is going to be the tougher matchup. I think Cunane's size and side isn't really something that uh, Notre Dame has that's going to kind of test UConn's bigs before they get to you know, if they're going to make it to a final four and you're going to have to play a, a Stanford, which just has so much length or South Carolina, eventually with Aaliyah Boston, I think NC state is going to be the tougher test of kind of where they're at. Um, and NC state can also shoot the three ball really well from a lot of different positions. And I think that challenges you kind of, if they get high, they'll have their perimeter defense doesn't always as good as the defense has been on inside, like the perimeter defense isn't the best. So that could be interesting as well. But Notre Dame and Bridgeport would be the more fun game. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I don't think NC State really moves the needle. Yeah. I like Notre Dame just because I haven't stopped talking about how NC State consistently underperforms in the NCAA tournament. So I have to maintain, uh, I have to keep the bit up. So I, I like Notre Dame in that game. We won't podcast again until after the weekend. So it's possible that a week from today, I don't know about you, but I, I will be flying it. Yeah. You're flying the same day as me. So a week yep. from today being Wednesday, we might be flying out to Minneapolis for the final four. Do you still think that UConn's going to end up there? Yeah. I feel pretty confident that UConn is gonna be the team that's coming out of this region. Like I said, I don't think Indiana's a tough test. NC state is going to be a hard game, but I still think that UConn, can win that matchup and I, I still expect them to go to the final four I think it's things are going to get interesting once they get there especially if you have to play a Stanford team which is the team that looks like the best team in the country right now but I think UConn gets out of Bridgeport yeah I agree no one's going to have the experience of having played UCF and I think that alone UConn I could see UConn coming out with some of the same fire that they had against UCF and just kind of destroying Indiana with it because Indiana is not going to be ready for it. I don't think the Indiana, I think the Indiana game is going to be close enough in that, you know, maybe it's a 10 point game for a lot of it and UConn pulls away to make it 15 or 20 by the end. I still don't think they're going to play NC state. And even if they do, I think UConn's actually going to win that one pretty easily because I feel like they're going to be in a good spot by then. And again, got to keep the bit up. I just, NC State in the NCAA tournament doesn't worry me. So I really do not think UConn's going to see NC State in the Elite Eight if they get there. And yeah, Notre Dame, I think a run to the Elite Eight would be really good for them. And yet they're a program that used to get to the final four every year. But for where they are and for who they have and for where they were just a couple of years ago, I don't think there would really be any shame in your season ending in the elite eight. If you're Notre Dame, honestly, probably yeah. just getting to the sweet 16 is already a successful season for them. Agreed. Honestly, I'm kind of surprised that Neil Ivy hasn't gotten more attention for like a coach of the year type thing, because this team didn't make the tournament last year. <laughs> now they're a four seed. They could go to the elite eight. They've gotten progressively better throughout the season. Like, and they're doing it with a lot of freshmen. I think she deserved a little bit more recognition for that than she got. Also, I think a big thing is experience where UConn, 
it's young, but it's a super experienced roster. Mm -hmm. And I think that experience really kind of showed against UCF where they didn't let the physicality and the, I, the excitement and energy probably affected them a little bit, but they recovered, they settled in. That's going to be a raucous crowd at Bridgeport uh, in the elite eight. If it is Notre Dame, I think they might have some trouble with that. And I think UConn's going to really feed off that. So regardless of who they play, I think UConn's got a good advantage just because of the Bridgeport region and having the fans there. But even still, I just like UConn's chances, even against NC state, UConn's more experienced in the NCAA tournament. So I think that's probably going to be a big deciding factor in these next two games, regardless of who they play. Yeah, agreed. And I think you've seen it kind of in some of the upsets so far too, that the, that experience has been a big thing. Like a team like South Dakota, that beat Baylor, they have three fifth year seniors on that team. So you've got that experience does definitely help kind of get you to the next round. Sweet 16 and elite eight this weekend at, now total mortgage arena down in Bridgeport. Terrible name for an arena, a fitting name for the city. <laughs> Webster Bank Arena at least had a flow to it. It fit. Total mortgage arena is just muddy and, I don't know, ugly, honestly. And I don't think that's too much to say. So total mortgage arena, the site of it all. We will both be there for both games. Should be interesting. UConn will go in looking to make its 14th straight final four. We will go in hoping that we get to go to Minneapolis (laughs) on that note. That'll do it for this episode of chasing perfection. You can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V Connolly. Be sure to subscribe to the show, tell a friend, read the UConn blog, sign up for the UConn women's basketball weekly. Megan, send us to regionals. Uh, Fingers crossed that a week from today, we are, recording live in Minneapolis and not talking about your cut season being added. Absolutely. That'll do it. Thanks for listening.